Hey, everybody. How beautiful was that? I was so thankful to have my friend Eric of Young Oceans on leading worship this week. I just feel a bit more at rest. Uh, it has been, uh, it feels so cliche and silly to say at this point. It's been a wild seven months, eight months, four weeks, last two weeks have just, uh, it feels like every week there's something new that it feels exhausting and stressful. And I just, I, I just want you to know that um, Corey and I and our team, um, the elders, leaders in our church are just praying for you regularly. Uh, if you need anything, I know we say this every week, but please reach out. Let us know. Uh, if you go to the front page of our website, and I was thinking of this, especially as numbers are rising in Rhode Island. Uh, uh, number of COVID cases are rising in Rhode Island. If you go to uh, our front page, sanctuaryri.org, you'll see uh, a big header that says running toward Corona and a button there. And if you click on that, um, we've just have people standing by who are just ready to help you with anything related to the pandemic. Um, just please feel free to reach out. We will try our best to care for you. Uh, today, I'm going to talk about a subject that uh, I was reminded of as I was writing this week's message um, and just started thinking about, okay, what what do I need to be reminded of? Um, what am I noticing in this current cultural moment that um, feels uh, lacking? Um, where is there like a disconnect that I'm seeing even in our own community? Um, and so I started going down one road and talking about and writing about humility uh, and then found myself shifting to talking about lament because that felt like, oh, this is an important thing. And, and a strange turn of events, and hopefully this will make sense by the end of our time, um, I came to the subject of, of honor, and I think in large part because I'm just watching how difficult it is to care for one another and relate to one another and lift one another up. And I, I'm sure you're exhausted of hearing me, you know, take shots at the toxic environment that is a lot of our social media. Um, but that is just the, the space that we are swimming in. And so about five years ago, I preached a message on honor and blessing. We did a little mini series right here in this space. And I went back to some of those notes and went back to some things that I knew at the time were so important for our church culture to take hold of. And I remember when I preached that sermon on honor and I preached another message on blessing, I remember distinctly feeling like we're going to have to come back to this. This is one of those things that like a lot of stuff really, but especially honor and blessing that are just going to kind of easily leak out if we don't keep bringing it to mind, teaching on it, reminding each other of it. Uh, if you're brand new to the way of Jesus, to church, to even sanctuary, uh, I don't know if the subject of honor may not sound like that appealing or maybe you have a lot of question marks. What I'm hoping for in this message, and I'm going to come back to this a few times, is actually that uh, we recognize the power the power of both um, seeing the worth that we have in God's eyes and the power of extending that or ascribing that worth to others. And the passage that I want to start in is Romans 12, verse 10. Romans 12, verse 10, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Paul, writing to a home church or likely a network of home churches in the city of Rome, writes, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Be devoted to one another in love and honor one another above yourselves. 
There's a story uh, that I've told a number of times for those of you who've been around Sanctuary for, for years, and I've gotten a lot of mileage out of this, but it came to mind again thinking about the subject of honor. A couple of years ago, uh, my family, at the time it was just me, my wife, who was pregnant, uh, and then Harper, our firstborn, she was uh, just about to turn three. And we went to Ireland. We were on our way to Liverpool, where my sister-in-law was getting married to a uh, a Brit uh, there. And so we stopped off in Ireland for a couple days and uh, I'm Irish. And so I just was really excited. It's my first time in Ireland. So we started asking around, like, where are the like, legit places, not the tourist traps that we actually should go to. And we asked around, we looked online and we found ourselves at this traditional bar kind of off the beaten path called the Cobblestone in Dublin. We walk in, and uh, in the corner of the pub, there is uh, like a bunch of musicians playing. They're not up on a stage. Some of them are on stools. Some are on a bench. Some are just kind of standing there right on the same level as everybody else. And they're playing these Irish folk songs. So I'm there. It's about five o'clock or so. Uh, I'm there with Corey. I'm there with Harper. Yes, my three-year-old's in a pub. All the Pharisees out there, just calm down. This is like a normal thing. And so we walk in, we're sitting around and we're listening to music. My daughter, to this day, loves to dance, but especially at that age, it was like she'd hear a little bit of music and she would jump into ballerina mode. And so two minutes go by, three minutes, five minutes, I can see that she's starting to like move a little bit, just a little bit. And then about 10 minutes in, I remember, she is now basically in the middle of this circle of musicians doing these like ballet moves. I'll spare you. It's, it's a little overwhelming how good my ballet skills are. Anyway, so she, she starts breaking up in a ballet. And I can tell, like any kind of three-year-old does, is starting to enchant the room a little bit. And so I look over at the person who's clearly uh, the leader of the band. And I lean in after, I don't know how long it's been now, 20 minutes. And I lean over and I go, hey. It's my daughter's three year, uh, she's going to turn three tomorrow. It's her birthday. Is there any chance that you would sing happy birthday to her? He leans over in this like thick Irish like accent. It's like, I'll do you one better. I was like, oh, okay, I'm listening here. And he goes, see that man over there in the corner? Now I've noticed this man. He's a fiddle player. He looks incredibly angry. Uh, and he's in this big, big giant sweater. He's on his like third Guinness and uh, I look over at him. I go, yeah, I see him. He goes, his name's Mick. I'm like, of course his name's Mick. And, uh, and he goes, he's turning 73 today. And I'm like, that's, that's wild. I was like, yeah, think of it. She's turning three. He's turning 73, 70 years between them right here on this day. I mean, he, this guy was like blown away by this math. And I'm, I'm in, I'm like just, I'm, I'm lost in all the enchantment of the moment. He goes, so we'll sing happy birthday to both of them. And then we'll bring out some cakes. What do you think? Like, this could not have worked out any better. So here's a video. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Mick and Harper. Happy birthday to you. So this was Mick. I was told that he um, 
He's not the sort of guy who's going to smile or talk to a three-year-old, but he just lit up. It was this absolutely magical moment. I could tell he was just kind of taken to her. So anyway, fast forward. The next day, uh, Corey leaves for Liverpool to go over early to um, be with her sister. And Harper and I got one more day in Ireland before we were going to fly over and meet everybody. So I naturally decide, well, we got to go back to that pub. That was incredible. So we go back over. And as soon as Harper enters into where the circle is, almost the same musicians. I noticed there was a few more, but most of the same musicians were there. And Mick just goes, Harper! And it was like this reunion, like this totally like just completely separate culture with this different songs and uh, uh, every everything about this situation um, was fascinating because here was this three-year-old being like kind of almost welcomed into this little family of musicians. So anyway, this night was a little bit different where there was different singers. The band would play together and then they would stop and then a singer would play like a folk song and then they would stop and somebody would stand up and sing uh, some song in like Gaelic, just a cappella. And uh, it would just rotate. So the band would play a couple songs together and then they would pause and there'd be another person in the circle who would just do a solo. Harper quickly notices this, comes to me and goes, Daddy, do you think I could sing a song? I'm like, well, you got to go ask Mick. And she's like, will you come with me? I'm like, you're three years old. I think it's about time you can talk to strange 73-year-old men with fiddles. So she walks across the, the circle and she asks, um, she asks Mick, she goes, Mick, can I sing a song? He just lets out this big laugh. He's like, yeah, sure, Harper, sure, Harper. And I'm thinking he's just blowing her off and laughing her off. So Harper comes back over, confused as I was, like, I'm not sure if this is going to happen. Five minutes later, the circle stops and he goes, all right, Harper talking to her as if she is a 73-year-old woman. Come on in. Time to sing. And so my little three-year-old just comes like waddling out to the middle of the circle and then begins to sing in the smallest voice, the biggest voice she can muster, sings, I'm a little teapot, short and stout. And she begins to sing, I'm a little teapot. Here's my handle. Here's my spell. Why don't you all stand up hear me shout? And then she ends with tip me over and... And she forgot the words, the last two words. And then she, I like, pour me out. Pour me out. The pub just erupts. Like there was, it felt like a second of like holy silence. And then I, I tell this joke every time. It was like, I swear I saw leprechauns, like rainbows, like there was gold everywhere. Bono came in and high-fived me. Like the whole, it was just, it was, it was the most magical moment. Here's the point of why I share this story. Is like um, Mick and the band leader, as I was leaving, I asked, do you guys do this all the time? Like let people come and sing. Because you had a three-year-old singing, I'm a little teapot. You had this absolute like majestic older woman singing this song in Gaelic I didn't understand, but somehow made me cry. And then you had like a, I don't know, a 22-year-old folk singer who sang pretty out of tune and was kind of miserable. Uh, do you do this all the time? He's like, oh, Yeah. Uh, the songs that we sing and what we're doing here are the songs of the people. And we want to honor these songs and we want to honor these musicians. And he used the word honor like three times. Like we, we, we want to give worth to these songs and worth to anybody who would just come and participate because the goal here is participation. And I just was taken aback by this. I, that word, like hearing him say, oh, we have to honor these songs and honor these people. And here he was honoring my three-year-old daughter from across the world and giving her this platform and saying, no, 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 you can come and participate in this too. This stuck out to me. Honor in Paul's time was a uh, basically a claim to worth. This is what it meant. 
And it means basically the same thing now. It was a claim to worth. It was accompanied by the public acknowledgement of and the respect for that worth. Now, honor like came and comes either internally or externally. So it's like in your own eyes, you see you have some worth or external, which is like you see values in the eye of uh, or value in the eyes of your social group. Honor was either ascribed or acquired. And by ascribed, I mean like this is like who you already are. You were born into royalty, born with some sort of position, born with a particular like citizenship. If you were born a Roman, like many of the people that he's writing to were, you already have some like honor like kind of built in. Uh, Or honor can be given to you by an honorable person. Or number two, um, you, um, you can acquire honor and you do that simply by achieving some level of success. Now, in this culture of honor, um, or in this culture, I should say, this shame and honor culture, honor is a scarce thing. You can only give so many people so much worth. You are always on guard. It could disappear in a moment. Uh, think about like a modern day credit rating. Uh, it'd be very similar. Like you can lose that in the moment with just one poor choice. I don't know how many of you, you know, you get that phone number and you're, you, you, you just that you don't recognize it doesn't come up on your phone and you're pretty sure you tell everybody it's probably just spam, but you kind of know it's a creditor and they're coming for those, you know, unpaid credit card bills from college that you just put a bunch of calzones on and you never paid. And maybe this is just my story and not yours, but <laughs> you know that in a heartbeat with just some poor choices, small, small, small choices, you can, your credit score can just dip. It was really similar in how people viewed honor and how people to this day in honor, uh, shame and honor cultures still see that. The loss of honor is shame. And everything in this culture like, um, like existed on a honor to shame scale. In this kind of culture, like what other people believe is incredibly powerful. What other people believe about you um, and when you actually um, fail uh, in, in, in honoring someone, when you fail in upholding the honor and worth of your family, you're not just letting yourself down, you're letting the whole group down. So you always want to make sure that you are keeping and taking and guarding your honor. Perception in these kinds of cultures is key. You perceive your worth based on someone else is so different from parts of the world we live in today. So it's into this culture that Paul says, honor others above yourself. Now, why is this subversive? Because what Paul's doing here is both uh, reframing and subverting the honor culture of his day. Paul has a different lens. He is looking at Roman culture through a different set of glasses. He is a citizen of another world. And so for the follower of Jesus, you have this fundamental belief that your worth comes from God, that you are welcomed into a new family that transcends bloodlines and marriage lies, um, ties. This is called, anthropologists call this a fictive family. It's a deeply bonded group that transcends bloodlines and marriage and class. That's what actually bonds you. Uh, it's a bit of an, an anomaly. Uh, a family where in the, uh, in the church, this is a family where Jesus is king and your relationship with this king is one of friendship. You're told that you're forgiven and that you're loved in advance, uh, that you don't have to earn your 
worth, that you're made in the image of God. So what does Paul embrace and what does Paul reframe and subvert in the Roman shame and honor culture? This is important when we read this verse to know what he's grabbing onto and what he is rejecting and what he's reframing. So first of all, he's embracing strong family ties. And I know talk a couple of weeks ago called the future is family. I talked a lot about this. Like this was incredibly important. He is, he is um, giving a vision of the uh, of taking hold of in this kind of honor culture, the way family members honor one another, this is what it needs to look like in the kingdom of God as well. There's no one keeping track of who has spent what or who has given what. Uh, there's like a radical self-giving generosity that exists in the family. He's embracing this aspect of honor culture and saying, no, no, this tight-knit family is important. What Paul reframes though and what he is subverting and why this passage is so interesting is how you get honor. Remember, there's only one way to receive honor without being born into the right family or class or without having gained a level of success that others see. The only other way to see yourself as having worth in the context of this honor and shame culture is when an honorable person grants you worth. So in Hebrews 2, when we read, um, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You crown them with glory and honor. Like the one who we are told is deserving of all honor and glory and praise. The author of it all, who all of creation affirms, has given us honor. Our claim to worth as followers of Jesus comes from God. Now, for those who grew up around church, this is not news. Our worth is given to us by God. Right? Genesis 1, we're told again, we're made in the very image of God. Psalm 139 uh, says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and all the days of our life were written in God's book before we were ever born. Ephesians 1 says God chose his children before the foundations of the earth were ever formed. While we were still sinners, we're told in this same letter, Christ died for us. God loved us in spite of our condition. And because he did, we now have infinite Worth. We now know our infinite worth. Paul here reframes and subverts through a Jesus lens. The one who is ascribing honor has changed. It's not our culture. It's not your birthright. So the more that we reflect on this and embody this, the more that this simple truth that many of us I know who are watching here go, yeah, 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 it's good to be reminded of great. But the more we actually lean into this, it will affect the relationships around us. This is really similar to the talk last week about peacemaking. It's like when we realize what has been done for us and we actually take this to heart and we actually trust this. This is why followers of Jesus talk a lot about trust and faith. I like just submit to you that when we do this, it will produce something powerful for the relationships around us. And I want to submit to you that we need this right now. 
in a culture where your claim to worth is based on external things or ascribe realities, we are told that our claim to worth comes from God alone, that he has crowned you with honor. And it's not just um, those that are like, who, who actually are followers of Jesus or those that um, uh, ascribe to all the right things to think. Like uh, elsewhere in the scriptures, we have Paul calling a whole group of people that were considered the worst of the worst, the Gentiles. He calls them children of God, which is the greatest honor you could give them. There's a whole sermon there. He's giving honor to those seemingly unworthy instead of like any kind of preoccupation to get them to do something first because he knows and hear this, Honor is not a limited resource because he knows there's plenty to go around. It's a joy. It's a joy to give away what you've received in abundance. It's a joy. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Give it. Don't take it. Give it. Don't take it. This is how we in this family, as followers of Jesus, this is how we roll. We aren't worried about a loss of worth. We aren't concerned with claiming our worth when Jesus announces that we have been, that we have immeasurable worth. We can just give it away freely because you can give away what you're not afraid to lose. Anybody who's like, radically generous in your life. Like, you know this. Like, you're just not afraid to give away. Like, you keep giving away what you're not afraid to lose. Honor's not a limited resource. Some of us think we can't honor people if they aren't deserving in our eyes, but we can acknowledge their worth. Like, we, some, some of us feel like we have to tear people down in order to be lifted up ourselves. We have to cut people down. I found this is a distinctly New England thing sometimes. Sitting in that pub in Ireland with grown men and women like elderly folks playing, like welcoming in this outsider who has no stake in the community, like and honoring them as one of their own, turning to my little girl and honoring her, watching them just give that away as a blessing, as a blessing, as a blessing. Like just saying, you, Harper, you, Mook family, you have a claim to worth here. You, horrible musician who's joining in in these songs, you have a claim to worth here. So here's where I want to land this. First, like where do we start? Because I think it's important that we actually have some like, like primary places we think about honor. First of all, as followers of Jesus, we honor Jesus, the author of our worth. This is one reason why we worship we ascribe worth to Jesus. We say, yes, there. Yes, there. There, there, there's where all the life and the love and the beauty and the generosity and the goodness is. We are not on the throne. Two, we honor our leaders. And this is hard in this moment. It actually says in scripture multiple times, like you give like a double portion of honor. And it's, and it's not a um, sort of a blind eye towards how destructive leaders can be or the brokenness that exists in leadership. Um, but it's an acknowledging that of here are people who are helping point us to the one who have given their lives to help come underneath and help the rest of the family move toward a place of deeper honor and blessing and love. Parents are lifted up 
as folks that we need to honor. We want to kind of ignore this commandment, but especially because this can be a painful one for those of us who have really difficult relationships with our parents. But we're told point blank to honor our parents. It's not just an Old Testament command to honor them. This is about humility. Uh, every time I, I find myself talking about, which is not often probably enough, talk about honoring your parents, I, I always, uh, this line comes to mind, um, which is kind of awkward and strange. And it's just consider your belly button. Like consider your belly button. Like take a moment right now and just consider, like consider what it is, what, what, what was there before. Like you were connected to mom. It's like a, it's almost like a baseline. It's a lesson in humility. They gave you life. They may have been just the worst of parents in every other way, but it's this, just this reminder. Uh, I married a friend of mine uh, recently who's a Chinese American uh, and traditional Chinese culture is very honor, is an honor shame culture. And what they did in the wedding, um, they have these three bows that they make. And the first bow is to God, which makes sense. The second bow actually is to mom and dad. And the third bow is then to your spouse. So on the altar, we watch them sort of bow to the cross, turn, bow to mom and dad. And then there was the bowing to the spouse. It was this idea of, oh no, we need to actually elevate this and elevate these people. This is where life came from. It's actually, I think, a lot more about you than it is mom and dad, the act of honoring your parents. And then to get to kind of where we're going today is the invitation here is to honor really everyone as followers of Jesus who recognize that everyone is deserving of honor at a baseline. And we are to be people who give it away. The kind of honor that Romans 12, 10 commands has nothing to do, nothing to do with who people are and what position they are in or what they produce. We are to honor one another above ourselves because God loves and values all people. So my question today for us, and I remember asking the same question five years ago, is who is on your red carpet? Like, who do you honor? Most of us, sadly, are very familiar with celebrity culture, right? Like, we, um, I remember this, it's like a Parks and Rec episode where one of the characters uh, puts on the, on the uh, sole of his shoe, he puts like red carpet, um, uh, what do you call it? What do you call it? Like on your shoe, the sole that's like inside your shoe, like the insert. Yeah. Sole. Dr. Schultz. Dr. Schultz. <laughs> Doesn't matter. He put like red carpet in his shoe. <laughs> it's like, I'm always walking around on red carpet. And I just, it, it, when I, I remember when I watched first watched that, I was like, oh, who else is actually on my red carpet? I'm sure like there was someone here today that needed to reminded, needed to be reminded of their worth. I'm sure, I'm sure. That's uh, why I spent the time talking about that. But what I'm really hoping to leave you with today is a resolve to honor others so that you get, so that you get to experience the joy and freedom of placing others on your red carpet. Like to recognize the power of honoring others because this will do something to you. Remember, Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. This is not a verse so pastors 2,000 years later can encourage people to like give money to the church. 
He's talking about something that's true about the nature of reality. It's just better to be generous. It does something to your heart. When a culture of honor forms in our hearts and thus forms in our community, in our church, there is a joy that we experience. There's an inner security that forms because you're not trying to get honor. You're not thinking about yourself all the time. You're thinking about how to give it away. You're thinking about how to get other people on to your red carpet. This whole thing is like a reverse selfie, which is just a picture. It's like a selfie is a claim to worth, right? Like, look how put together I am. Look how good I look. Here is this like picture where I really look amazing, but I'm going to mask it by putting a really deep quote that I grabbed off a quote website that like makes me somehow feel a lot deeper. Yes, I'm speaking to whoever that is needs to hear that word today. We all see you. Like who this week are you going to blow up on social media? And by who, I mean somebody not you. Like, who are you going to say, like, that person? Let me ascribe worth to them. I don't want to limit this to social media, but we're all on this, right? Like, where else right now in this week, in this moment, in this day, can you ascribe worth to? Can you celebrate? It doesn't have to be a public thing, but our world, I think, needs this right now more than ever to honor others above yourself, so much time in every conversation I feel like I find myself in, every like post I see is just virtue signaling, virtue signaling, like look at how good I am because of this opinion I have. And they're almost always, what am I against? What am I against? Yeah, I'm against that too. Yeah, I'm against that too. Yeah, I'm against that too. And it's a constant barrage of this. And there are things, believe me, in this moment that we need to be against. But may we as a church, may we as a family be people who elevate that which is good and true and beautiful. Let us acknowledge the worth of people. Let us honor those around us and ascribe worth to them because we got plenty of it because we are so deeply loved. We have to acknowledge who we need to honor in our lives because they deserve it and because they don't. Who do you need to honor above yourself? Be careful to not think of yourself, right, more highly than you ought. This produces a humility and a graciousness and a merciful posture. You can start to see, if you just spend a few minutes thinking about this, how this simple idea of honor can begin to affect or infect all sorts of other areas in our heart, in our life our tongue, speaking life, speaking honor, speaking blessing. It's as much about the object of your honor and blessing as it is about you. It changes you, shapes you into the humble, grounded, secure person you know God created you to be. And when we obey God's command to honor people, we are ultimately honoring and obeying who? God. Jesus said, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. When we obey the Lord by humbling ourselves and by giving honor to others, God will personally in some way bestow honor and blessing upon us. And I'm of the opinion that that's just like the natural side effect. I don't know how much of that is God's like, oh, good job honoring. Like you earned some points. Here's a treat. I think actually the reward is implicit. It's like, oh, it just feels good 
to begin to get your eyes off yourself and onto lifting others up. The more honor we give, the more we receive the joy and the life of heaven. I think that we can change or enhance the culture of our friend group. I think as you're headed home, maybe for the holidays and you're thinking about that family member, you have to, you know, is going to bring up that really tough, divisive political thing. Like, like I, I think that maybe even your algorithm and as broken as that might be, I think we can actually begin to change these things when we lead with honor. When we lead with seeing the humanity and the implicit worth in someone, even someone we, we don't see eye to eye with at all. So who's on your red carpet? The deserving and the undeserving. Who's on your red carpet? Maybe as a practice this week, take a moment. Maybe just right now, jot a couple names down of people that you want to reach out to, that you want to send a message to, that you want to call, that you want to lift up. And sometimes, kind of just one more last thing, like sometimes I actually think it's the people that um, are closest to us that we, that we need to honor that we just don't because we just assume they know. They know we love them. We know we think they're great. We know that we, we, they must know how much um, worth like they have in our eyes or Sometimes it's the people that are closest to us. Lord, I believe that one little verse, one little reminder from Paul to this home church in Rome 2,000 plus years ago carries with it a nuclear energy to transform the culture of a home church and of a family. Of anyone in that city that that group and that church touches, Lord. Honor and blessing seem so central to what it is to like walk in your way, Lord. So help us. Help us be people, God, who continue to tap into the promises of the worth that you gave to us, that you crowned us with glory. And Lord, help us um, get out of that like seat in the middle of the room. Like help us remember that we're not on the throne, that that, that glory and honor that's ascribed to us is also ascribed to our neighbor. And so may we recognize, Lord, the abundance of love and blessing and forgiveness and mercy that is upon us. And might that begin to transform the way we relate to others, Lord. Might we not just be people who don't say bad things. <laughs> might we not just be people who aren't divisive or people who just like, oh, we don't hate, but are actually people who bless and honor. Might some of us, Lord, be accused this week of going a bit over the top? Because, Lord, I know that you have called Sanctuary Church, you've called your church, Lord, to just be a force of love, to be people known by love. When I'm in the presence of folks there at that community, I just, I leave feeling blessed and honored, cared for. I, I experience the kindness and joy of maybe it's God even, that people would say that of us. So help us, Lord. Help us in this scattered moment where it's difficult. We're not even seeing a lot of people. Just like um, give us, Lord, just a holy imagination 
God, how to embody that this week. We pray all of this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Look forward to joining you all uh, in Zoom for communion. I'm going to take just a few minutes if you're new with us. We come, we take the bread, and we take the cup, and we remember the greatest act of love the world has ever seen. There's some folks there who would love to pray with you after if you want. Just a few minutes, but we'd love to see your faces uh, and to take a moment together as we close our broadcast. So see you in a second.